Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. I'm the producer, David Lally, and today Brian is taking calls for a Q&A on finance. As we go along, I'll jump in to introduce our callers and read a few questions from our online Ask Brian platform. Let's get started. First up is Akira from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Akira. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. How are you doing? Hey, Brian. Doing well. How are you doing, sir? Great. Uh, what's your finance question? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for taking my call. Um, I appreciate listening to you every Tuesday morning. Um, so thank you for doing what you do. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's fun. For sure. So, yeah, finance question. Um, it's around giving. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on how you approach giving. I was listening to the interview this morning um, with Mitch about, you know, finding Chica. And it was an awesome story. And uh, I just wanted to your approach on giving, I've heard you talk about the 70-10-10-10 rule, mm-hmm. and my wife and I, we, we feel that we've been placed on this earth to be big givers, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we want to be also invest in our future and yep. be able to do, you know, things that reach our financial goals. We're just trying to find the balance of, you know, giving and being present today, but then also looking at, you know, our future and what we want to accomplish, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. What a great question to kick off the finance section. You know, you're not the only person to struggle with this, and I wish more people would struggle with this. There's a whole dynamic in regards to giving and the power of it. There's a spiritual dynamic. If you've ever read the Bible, you hear principles of tithing, right? Right. And even, you know, how do you apply that into modern-day life? And I'll take a cut at that if you want. Yeah. But I'll give you examples. If you watch Being Warren Buffett, here's the greatest investor of all time, whose wife was totally dedicated to giving back and works a charity, and... He was very, very committed to the science of compounding, where he realized the longer they waited that the money grew, the more good they could do with it. Mm -hmm. The sad part of that movie uh, on HBO is his wife died before they really got the giving in gear. And so, you know, she, she was really committed to serving and giving back in many different ways. Basically, Buffett gives a huge percentage of his net worth to the Bill Gates Foundation, because he goes, hey, Bill, you're better giving money away than I am, and you're finding these great causes. Um, and knowing what he knew now, he had waited too long. And it wasn't until his wife died that he realized he'd missed out on the opportunity. So on one hand, logically, investing in the future was the key. The power of compounding was the science. But he misjudged the fact that life is not promised to us for an eternity here on Earth. And so he missed out on that. So here, here's what I would say to you, a couple of principles. When my wife and I first did our budget 30-some years ago, our budget, looked it didn't look like 70-10-10. It looked like 106. It was 106 on the expenses. We were spending more money than we were making. So the first thing we had to do was make cuts. And we made cuts to get down to 97-111. So there was no live on 70%, give 10%, save 10%, invest 10%. Didn't have that. It took everything we could to get our expenses from 106, 106% of what we were making down to 97%. And then we went 111, and that's how we did it. My wife and I are people of faith, and we believe in giving, and we believe in the, the principles of that. We worked hard to work ourselves to the point that we could give money away. And I will also tell you the phrase my father told me is you give it out in slices, it comes back in loads. I found that to be true, and I found giving to be a very, very powerful thing. So I'll give you another little dynamic here. I had another man who was a client of ours for many years, a realtor, wonderful guy, and he had such a heart for giving 
that he gave away a significant portion of what he made all the time. The problem was he didn't take care of business. Mm-hmm. He wasn't paying the bills properly. He wasn't taking care of the family. The marriage was in constant financial stress. His family was under constant financial stress. Now, he had a heart the size of Texas, and it was a giving spirit with a people-pleasing spirit. Well, he ends up giving money away that should have gone to taking care of the household. He ends up giving money away that should have gone into growing their personal finances. And eventually, it was the undoing of him, his marriage, his family. And eventually, it led to a premature death. I would say in that regard, he... He so misunderstood giving that he didn't get to do giving, and he's the right kind of guy and just a good-hearted guy that would have made this world a continually better place, but he was out of sequence. So the dynamic here is follow the principles. All the money terms, if you think about it, a lot of the money terms, it sounds like water, okay? Like we hold our money in a bank, like the bank of a river. We call it currency, like current. Talk about money stagnating. And so cash flow. You give it out in slices, it comes back in lows. I think giving is a huge dynamic with money because it takes your mind just off of accumulation. It takes your mind into where it can be the most good. Right. It puts you into a spot where you're acting out of conviction. And for a person like myself, it's that understanding that you reap what you sow and that you don't give to get, but you do get because you give. There's no question about it. It's just ones of the laws of the harvest. So... To me, it's very, very powerful dynamic. Let me ask you particularly, as you as you guys work through this, what are the specific challenges that you face with regards to growing your finances or giving? What, what are one of the questions that comes up for you guys in your own home? Yeah, it'd be like, um, you know, just mainly you see a lot of you know, needs in the world today. Right. And, you know, there's opportunities that come up left and right, and there's organizations that we believe in that we want to partner with. But then we look at, okay, if we want to, you know, reach our, reach our financial goals, such as invest for our kids' college, mm-hmm. you know, invest for our next house and real estate investment and things of those nature. Mm-hmm. How are we going to approach that when we see the needs today? And kind of being present today, because, you know, you see, you know, many of the, like Bill Gates, for example, as you mentioned, he's, he's giving billions of dollars away today. Right. Um, but, you know, he didn't necessarily start out that way. Of course not. And nothing's promising that my wife and I will be, you know, be able to see are investments being given, you know, when I'm 30, 60 years down the road. So just like finding the balance of right. being present today, but then also understanding like, hey, there's a future and we need to also make sure that our, our family is cared for and intact. Right. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the question that we struggle with. Like there's needs that we see every single day that we want to contribute to. Right. But we're starting to see like our own savings, you know, not being where it needs to be or where we want it to be because we're you know, give in and, and try to invest into other ministries or organizations within our community. You bet. So, first of all, this is a great question. I want to take some time on this because you're touching on something that I think is very, very powerful that most people overlook when it comes to finances. So, a couple things is, as you look at your home expenses, are there ways that you could perhaps cut back on some things that might be even small that there's areas to save? What do you think? Yeah, I mean... Definitely, you know, we try to live really lean, like we have no debt. Great. Um, you know, our, our house mortgage is, you know, less than 25% of our income. Great. And so we, we set up ourselves, you know, we follow Dave Ramsey plan. Yeah, you're right on um, it. I'll pay for cash for things. So, I mean, and my wife may think I'm a little crazy with how strict we keep our budget, but we probably run to, to, to for a little more freedom. But 
um, we try to, you know, review and try to stay as lean as we can and not have any excess spending. Great. So I think that's great. You want to look at where you can cut to start. The second thing is you want to see where you can grow. How can you make your, your income come in better? Business people, what, you know, for me, I, I'll give you a great example. We had a, a client join our company years ago. She had been a battered wife. She had ended up kind of in a halfway house. She got involved in coaching in the real estate business. She started making some sales. She started doing better. When her coach sat down with us, said, what is something, you know, you set goals. She struggled setting goals and so on and so forth. And her goals were so big, they were kind of incapacitating her. Because what she had a burning desire was to help people who were in the same spot as herself. Okay? So the coach lined her up and said, here's the activities. You know, if you'll do these activities, you can bring in this kind of revenue. Well, let's say for every extra sale you make a month, you put that aside. And over time, you start putting that together to support women in the same spot you were in. Mm. Over about 15-year period of time, she becomes one of our most successful clients. She basically then sponsors her own house for women that can house up to eight families at a time. And every time she's doing the activities, whether it's writing a note, doing the Popeyes, making calls to her database, working the system, it got to a point where she's like, every time I do this, I get another woman off the street. And so all of a sudden it gave greater purpose to her work. Yeah. She was making a million half dollars a year for about 10 years. This is a gal when we met her, you know, she was barely paying her bills. So sometimes that higher purpose and that desire to serve can really drive you to do those next level things. The last thing I'd caution you on, especially is I can hear it in your voice, how much you care and how much passion there is there. You know, Bill Gates has a lot more money than you or I, right? Uh, at least my, I'm speaking myself. I don't know where you're at. You know, I never know you guys from North Carolina. You might be stacking there. So No, I'm not stacking. Okay, so <laughs> Bill Gates, he made a commitment that he could solve certain things but not solve other things. There's, again, there's a Netflix show on there, uh, Bill's Brain or something. It kind of walks you through. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to help with sanitation and water because that's one of the biggest killers in Africa. He he identified malaria because he said that's something that I, he could focus on. He didn't go after AIDS because AIDS was too big of a problem for him to have the resources. So here's the, the richest man in the world who says, that's too big a problem for me to handle. I'm going to focus on where I can help. So there is need everywhere. And the key is, where can you help? Eventually, here, here's what right. my challenge to you, a fellow like you, sharp, on the ball, good thinker, lots of energy. Eventually, the greatest gift that you could give to some organization or people in need is yourself. And if you can take care of your finances to the point that they can over, you take a look out there 25 years out, by the time you're 50 years of age, you're in a situation where I don't have to work, pay the family's bills, I can give myself away. That's a great way to look at it. And now you can give all the energy and all the experiences you have. And in the meantime, like I say, help out where you can. Right. That's really good advice. That's great stuff. Well, thanks so much. for that, Brian. No, you're asking great questions, and uh, it's exciting to hear someone like yourself got the bit between your teeth. Uh, there's there's hope for America when I hear yeah. people like you, Akira. For sure. I appreciate it. And if you ever come to Charlotte, I'd love to take you out. So I'll okay. send you a note with my info. Okay. Sounds good. Take care. Brian, on the website, of course, there's an Ask Brian feature, and I've got a great question that came in from Jake from Tucson. Now, this is a longer one. I think uh, we'll all get great help from your answer on this. Hello, Brian. First, thank you all for the great uh, content you provide each week. I joined a real estate team a year and a half ago when engaged to my wife, who's a part of the team. She convinced me to leave my salary job and was generous enough to move into the breadwinner role 
dip into her savings and float us through this time while I'm building my real estate business. It's been a stressful time, and while I'm far more laid back and I believe in the world of abundance, she is a self-proclaimed realist, and she's been getting more anxious with how slow I've been closing deals. It's put a strain on our relationship, both professionally and personally, but we do have a backup plan that if I don't increase my business over the next couple of months, I will need to pick up a part-time job. We don't want that to happen, uh, but I've had marginal success in my past careers, but none that I feel I could use to draw on with confidence where I've been there before and I can do it again. What advice would you have for people in our situation? Okay, that is a loaded question there, Jake from Tucson. So let me uh, do my best for you. First things first, what it's exposing to you as a, a newly married guy is that when two people get married, they bring with them their economic philosophy from their family of origin together in addition to bringing their own personalities together. Two different philosophies, two different comfort zones. And so what she wants to do is, hey, let's do it part-time and let's get a halfway comfort zone by getting you a part-time job. Now, I'm going to say this. There are many people in real estate that in order to survive need to do a part-time job. What I'm telling you is that that is a part-time death wish and a part-time death spiral. Now, you're saying you come from an abundance mentality and this and any other what that's communicating is that you're cool you're good and baby you just need to chill out and in the meantime she's stressed and worried she just needs to know you care she just needs to know you're really into it she just needs to know now her way of probably dealing with it might be a bit more stressed out and a bit more anxious and that's understandable so what you have to do jake is you got to suck it up here and i'm going to tell you this for myself when we had our first baby, I considered driving the shuttle van, the super shuttle, to the airport at night while I was doing real estate. And when I finally made a commitment, I said, no, forget this. I'm just going to do real estate better. I'm just going to do real estate better. I'm going to be more intentional. I'm going to be more focused. Here's my question to you, Jake, and I wish you were on the call live. Have you put it all in? Have you done all you can? Have you pursued every lead with gusto like your life depended on it? My gut says possibly not and so i just think you got to go after it with everything you got you got to let her know listen it's going to get a little tighter on here every entrepreneur there's a life and death struggle to every entrepreneur and every launch of a new business i just say you got to put it all in double down and get after it and so oh i come from an abundance mentality could also mean that i'm kind of lazy or i'm chilling out or i read the book the secret and it's going to attract it into my life my deal is I think your bride can live with it if she feels like you're putting it all in. What you need to let her know is she needs to have faith. She needs to believe in you and that you need her support. But if you put it all in, it'll all come out. Real estate's the fairest business there is because everything you put into it is what you get out of it. I'm going to say it again. Everything you put into it, you get out of it. So I'm going to say this. Jake from Tucson, time to get your butt in gear. Tell your bride... Back me up. Have my back. I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm willing to fail at this, but I need your support. I need you to have my back. I'm willing to fail, but I guarantee you by getting a part-time job, you're guaranteed to fail at this stage. It's okay for someone transitioning into real estate. It tends to be a disaster for someone who's in the business. Get your arson gear. Write your notes. Do your calls. Do your Popeyes. Make sure you're working the Buffini system. Uh, the average client makes 10 times that of the average realtor. And you just tell her, Hang in there. Hang tough. I need you to have my back. Believe in me. And then go do the work. I promise you the results will come. And you'll never be the same. So hopefully that's helpful. 
Back to you, Dave. Fantastic. Next up is Clint from Calgary in Canada. Hey, Clint, how you doing? Hello, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What's your question? So quickly, I'll say how much I appreciate the the very clear roadmap you've given me and everyone else to real estate success. And what I'm, my question is, the next step beyond that that you've alluded to and talked about a few times is how you you know made a lot of money in real estate and then turned that money into a fortune doing investments. Mm-hmm. And though that has always been you know not not too specific, mm-hmm. and I would just love to to know more detail about that. Oh, that. sure. I would give you a lot of detail. And, and like I say, my bride has been on the journey with me for a long time. Uh, my wife will tell you I never met a piece of real estate I didn't like. Okay? So <laughs> I'm a serial real estate buyer. So, Clint, just so you know, to start out, I, I give you a little more of the history here. You know, I started out with a pretty serious motorcycle accident. I owed a lot of debt. Yep. And yep. right from the start, I was a house painter's son. And I'd been around the trades my whole mm-hmm. life. So I knew how to work with my hands. So when I got into real estate, I combined the ability to work with my hands and being inside real estate. And you get around to see properties and see the market and see what's going on in neighborhoods. So sure enough, as a very young man, I would drive around and look around. And I bought a house in Claremont that had you know, looked uh, very neglected and beat up on the outside. And I knocked on the door and it was a, it was a gal who'd was actually had been married to a not so good of a guy and I did a deal with her and I basically I borrowed the money to to do the fix up costs and I fixed it up and I turned around and sold it and then I started buying and fixing houses while I had real estate I started finding where the properties were that were good starter properties where good working families were and there was a there was an area in San Diego called Spring Valley and Spring Valley had a problem where the soil is called adobe and like an adobe brick, and when it got wet, it rose up like a biscuit in an oven. So what we had in this area was called cracked slabs. The banks wouldn't loan on a cracked slab. So I would buy a a house, I'm dating myself, this is 30 years ago, that would retail for about $130,000, and I could buy it for about 75. And I'd fix the cracked slab for $50 a linear foot, put a French drain around it, do the Home Depot fix-up with carpet and paint and new countertops in the bathrooms and things like that and you know have a budget of 15 to 18,000 and then turn around and sell it for 130 to 135 and I would be the real estate agent on my own deals and so I bought and fixed and sold and bought and fixed and sold and then I bought and fixed and traded and then got into apartment buildings and got into bigger apartment buildings I traded one time into a hotel and I was always buying I was always holding and as my business got busier, and then I got into this business, I had less time, you know, so I had a management company managing more of the real estate stuff. And then I started buying storage units and then bigger stuff than that. And now I'm in commercial real estate with triple net leases and things like that. So it's a long journey, but basically I'm sold on the value of real estate. I'm sold on the value of holding it long term. I was in a, an unusual market for a while where I could buy, fix, and turn. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a I, I'm not really big into the flipping mode. I think there's a lot of expenses on both ends that can burn you there. Yeah. But I do believe in buy, fix, and hold, and then I believe in buy, fix, hold, and trade. And so, here, here's the bottom line: is food, shelter, clothing. Those are three big needs. And because of the way the market is today, like in the past, when I was starting out, I wouldn't have bought property outside of the state of California because it's so hard to manage. Well, the world we live in today, it's a lot easier to manage stuff further away. 
So you could live in one socioeconomic area and buy in another. That's the newer opportunity that's out there. So the big thing for me, and I did a podcast on this subject, was are you buying for cash flow or are you buying for appreciation? And those are the two big questions to ask yourself. I bought for appreciation. I bought the best areas I could. I fixed them up. And then when I started holding properties, over time, I moved them into areas of cash flow. In this regards, it was storage units and now commercial real estate. So the commercial real estate holdings I have today are all what's called triple net leases. So the, the tenants have to pay everything. They pay the taxes, they pay the insurances, and they pay the maintenance on the buildings. So I just get a check. The downside with big commercial buildings is if they leave, you're sitting there holding it vacant until such time as somebody moves in. So th- those are all the different things. So I would say you pick your spot, you pick your areas of comfort, pick your uh, markets you're comfortable owning, pick properties that you're willing to hold for a very long time. That you got to be, I wouldn't buy a piece of real estate if I wasn't willing to hold it for 10 years. That doesn't mean I held very many properties for 10 years, but I wouldn't buy it unless I was comfortable doing it. So there's just a few principles. I don't know if that answers all your questions or you have more. Well, so I've got uh, four four rental houses Beautiful. that I've had for quite a few years, and I used to flip houses quite a bit as well mm-hmm. before I became an agent. And um, so, yeah, that cash flow versus appreciation thing. So what I've been telling clients is that maybe I'm wrong or not, but there's two ways to do it. You can buy a, buy a property in a in a good part of town that's going to appreciate in value, inner city type of thing. Yep. But your cash flow is going to be very thin. Yep. Because the price of the price of the property would be higher. Or you can buy something in, you know, not such a great area of town, but the price is much lower, but now you've got a lot of cash flow because the rents are comparable. And, yep. And maybe, maybe do a mixture of the two so that you've got, uh, that's what I've got is a mixture of the two so that the, the, mm-hmm. the high cash flow ones are carrying, they're like the mule that's carrying the load for the, <laughs> the other one. Well, and I also say from an age standpoint, when I was 28 years of age, I had a I had a more willing to go into those tougher neighborhoods, and I owned a lot of that stuff. And uh, the busier I got and the older I got, the, the less of an appetite I had for that. But you bring up something here that I think it's a great point. Investment real estate's another job. It's, an, it's another business. And you have to view it as such. It's a fantastic thing. More than half the millionaires in North America made their millions in real estate. But you've got to understand that it's a business. It's a job. It's not uh, you go to the seminar where they say nothing down and you bought the house and you made a fortune. I just haven't found that in 33 years of it, you know. It's all work. It's all effort. But it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile and it's not going anywhere. So. Well, what, what I was looking for was just some perspective here. Because like, you had mentioned in, in one of your courses and things that you talked about how you know, people get sidetracked mm-hmm. from, from the job of real estate by getting into flipping and different things and you right. get distracted by track. And so where is the balance there of, of going after these things to invest in and build your wealth? Right. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a great rule of thumb, Clint. I think it's a great question is this. Your business on a day-to-day basis, are you able to support yourself in the 70-10-10-10 formula, as I was talking to uh, Kira about? Are you earning enough money that you can live on 70% of what you make, save 10, give 10, invest 10? Are you able to do that? And if you're doing that, then everything, every dollar above that in my book goes to a real estate investment fund. And that's what motivated me. 
I was able to live off of 70, 10, 10 by selling 30 homes a year. So when I was selling 80 homes a year, my wife and I didn't buy new furniture or the vacation home in Hawaii or whatever else. Those 50 transactions a year were all going into a real estate investment fund year after year after year. And then that got invested in real estate. Then that became such an economic asset that when that spit off many years later, then she was able, okay, you want to buy the vacation house in Hawaii? We can do it. No problem. By real estate investment fund, do you mean your your, your own personal exactly. savings towards that? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And that's where I set my goals. And at every time I did a deal, I was excited because it was going into a real estate investment fund. And I kept my expenses the same. And so you do that long enough, then you eventually you get to change your expenses. It sounds like with four houses, you're already on a great path. Well, I hope so, yeah. Um, you didn't do much in stock market or anything outside of real estate. I'm there now. How long have you been in the business? Well, be, be, I was an investor before I was a realtor. Sure. And I did that for about 15 years. Okay. And now I'm, as a realtor, about, uh, this is my fourth year. Fantastic. Almost, almost five years. Well, there's peaks and valleys. Yeah. And you're in Calgary. You've seen the oil prices up and down and different things. So yeah. one of the challenges <laughs> yeah. with that is if, if 100% of your asset is in real estate, and 100% of your income's in real estate, and we go through a natural cycle of a down cycle in a few years, it hits everything. Yeah. So that's why a little bit of diversification over time is helpful. But what I would do if I were you is set a goal. Okay, here's how much, how many, so many transactions I need to do to pay my bills and live and save. And then every deal I do above that, I put into this investment fund. That's when it gets fun. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, and that's what I've got going and everything. I was just kind of looking for more direction as what, what do I actually do with that money when I get it? Yeah. Buy and hold, baby. Buy and hold. <laughs> yeah. awesome. Awesome. Thanks for calling Thank in, so much. Clint. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Dave, I think we got time for one more. Clint, uh, by the way, the show that Brian was talking about was episode number 36, The One Decision That Makes a Millionaire. So, Brian, your last question actually comes from the website, Luke from Littleton, Colorado. Hi, Brian. I love your investment strategies. I've been investing in appreciation-focused real estate in the Denver area for 16 years. I'm 40 years old. I own about $5 million worth of investment assets with approximately a $3 million equity position. Equity is great, but I can't live off of it unless I sell. My cash on equity return is currently 2.2%. You mentioned to not use them as ATMs, but I'm considering pulling out equity up to 50 to 60% LTV across my portfolio and reinvesting it in more growth and cash flow property while maintaining positive cash flow in my current portfolio. Have you used a similar strategy? Would you recommend it? Thanks, Luke. Great question. 100% yes, I have. In the early stages of investment, you want to take it on and you want to grow based on appreciation. And then what happens is a situation like this where your appreciation is good, you got good equity, and now you need a little cash flow. And so whether it's right there in your local town, whether it's in your local state, um, there, there are many different cities in America, for example, where, like I, I always reference Fort Wayne, Indiana. I think they think I'm picking on them. But Fort Wayne, Indiana, you can buy real estate with you know not a huge amount down and get cash flow right away. La Jolla, California, no chance. So your beach property in California it's, you know, 50% down to cash flow in a lot of places, okay, unless you turn them into Airbnb properties. So I think what you want to do is, is exactly what you are doing. For me personally, you know, I want to keep equity positions at 50% and, 
in every piece of real estate I own. That's my goal to get there, and that's my goal to keep it there. Because when a downturn comes, let's say you lose 20% of market value, you're still at 30% equity at the bottom of the market. So that keeps you safe. And I think it's okay to take some money out, and I think this has been a strategy that's many, many, many people have done. Where people get into trouble is they do this. They take equity out of their properties, and they're sitting on 80% loan-to-value. The market goes down 25%. They're upside down on everything. Now they're in trouble. So I think as best you can, keep 50% loan-to-value and then invest in either real estate or other investments that give off dividends. It could be stock. I have my great friend Ben Stewart. has been my stockbroker for a long time. We did a podcast with Ben as one of my financial advisors. Part of our portfolio is in stocks that produce dividends. And so that's another way to get cash flow. You can have a little bit of growth and also have a dividend. There's a lot of different corporate bonds out there is another way to go. And then there's also investment real estate. So very powerful stuff. You're asking fantastic questions. You know, the rates of return you're getting on $3 million in equity at 2.2, yes, it is time to do something different. And at a minimum, you need to be looking at 6% rates of return, okay? So, again, that exists. That exists in different areas. That exists in different areas right there in Colorado. You can look around the country for that. You know, we're part of a network of real estate agents, so we have the best agents in the business. So you're able to network through our network. And uh, there's many people in areas where they have high cash flow areas, and you might have a good relationship with someone through our network who's able to keep an eye on the property for you. So uh, lots of different options there to invest in. Stocks, bonds, corporate bonds, investment real estate in your local town, out of town. And um, But I would keep your equities at 50% loan to value. So that's what I have for you. So great stuff. I know we had a bunch of people call in today. I, I know we didn't get to everybody's question, but I thank you all for tuning in. I'm enjoying these Q&A sessions. If you guys enjoy this stuff, please let us know. If you'd like us to do more Q&A, please let us know. Hit us up on social media. Hit us up on the Brian Buffini Show. Send us an email. Just love your feedback. So it's been a fun time. I hope this has been helpful. Back over to you, David. Well, thanks for joining us today on the show. If you weren't able to ask your question, visit thebrianbuffinishow.com slash insiders and leave your questions for Brian there. Keep an eye out for future opportunities to join us on the show. And do remember that while Brian has great insights to share, it's always best to consult a financial advisor who can spend more time taking a closer look at your unique situation. In the meantime, here's Therese Buffini with a little Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 